Hello and welcome to the podcast. You know, we really need to get some intro music. Uh, Chris, I, I credit you with uh, finding some good intro music. You uh, sent it over to me last night. Of course, I did nothing with it. <laughs> well, you know, it's a long process, John. It's, uh, you yeah, know, it is. It is. The studios have given us a three-year contract on this, and uh, mm. so we've, you know, we've got some time to play with. Right, and you know, I have so much going on. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> really, as we all do, yeah, as we all do. Right, really, really a challenge to uh, get to this, but uh, here we are again on Listen Closely with John and Chris, and uh, I'm also going to credit you, Chris, with. Um, sort of getting me back into uh, this episode's album that we're going to dissect. And it's what I was really into 20, 25 years ago, even. Um, But then it was really just, I think, uh, collecting dust on the shelf for me. And uh, I think it was maybe about a month or so ago that you sent me a picture that you had found it on vinyl while uh, shopping somewhere out in the West Coast, you little hipster. And uh, yes, 1709 Records in Vancouver, Washington. Great, uh, great little record store. All right. How's that for a plug? Uh, (laughs) And, you know, ever since that moment, I said, well, you know, I, I need to give this another try. And what I'm referring to is the sweeping and magnificent 1982 masterpiece from Elvis Costello and the attractions called Imperial Bedroom. And it really is, uh, really is an amazing, amazing album. And I regret that I didn't spend much time with it over these last 20 years, but I will say this much over the course of the last five days, I have played it so much that I've worn it out. So Let's jump right into it. Uh, The album's released in 1982. It is uh, very much a complete departure, I think, from from the kind of brash uh, punk new wave sound of Elvis Costello's first few albums. I mean, I just want to just want to throw this out there. So this is released in 82. Elvis Costello is only five years into his professional career at this point. And he releases 1977, his debut album, My Aim is True, 1978, This Year's Model, 1979, Armed Forces, 1980, Get Happy, 1981, Trust, and then this album in 1982. That's insane. <laughs> it's a busy man. Oh my God. Very busy man. And as I said earlier, it's a, it's a departure. It's got this sweeping sort of epic sound heavy orchestrations, but then it's sort of a hodgepodge, I think, musically of, uh, of different styles. You know, you have country in there with almost blue, a uh, long honeymoon, there's a bit of a tango. And then you have songs that have a kind of a Sergeant Pepper vibe, uh, like And In Every Home and Pigeon English, which is one of my favorites. And perhaps not coincidentally, the album is produced by Jeff Emmerich, who was one of the sound engineers on the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album. So I think that is intentional on Elvis's part. And uh, 
I think he sought to create some sort of masterpiece. And frankly, I think it is. It's, it's probably somewhat flawed, but uh, I don't know. What say you? What, what makes this album special? Oh, man. This album, I, I just listened to the whole thing again earlier this morning. And, you know, this album is, it's, you're right. It, there's so many different genres going on and styles and somehow it all kind of fits together. It's kind of frenetic and uh, a little bit schizophrenic, but it, it all, it all holds together. I think, you know, some of the, the things that came to mind listening to this, there's so much, such a sense of dissatisfaction and uh, a lot of self-loathing. You think that's fair to say? (laughs) A lot of alcoholism. A lot of alcoholism. Yeah, and then there's these rays of hope, though. You know, it's very dark, but there are these rays of hope. And um, I just think, you know, the thing with Elvis Costello, who, not to go all mutual admiration society on you, but you're the one who introduced (laughs) me to Elvis Costello probably like 25 years ago. I I had heard of him, you know, I sort of knew that he was someone who was cool in the kind of hipster scene. But um, you introduced me to him and... Right away, I mean, the thing that took me aback was his lyricism. His his lyrics are phenomenal. I mean, it's, they're amazing. It's, a lot of it is there's not a lot of pop and rock music that could, I think, genuinely pass for poetry if you took the music away. But I think his can, without a doubt. I, I think he is, for my money, one of the greatest lyricists of all time. Uh, definitely one of the greatest that's still actively writing, performing, singing. Um, and I think this album really captures those lyrics at, at their best. And, you know, what I, what I find amazing is those first few years of his career, he comes onto this scene and he's this very kind of neurotic, um, angry, Buddy Holly looking guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in those first few albums, you listen to the lyrics and they're, they're edgy, they're angry. They're kind of all over the map, though, thematically. And with Imperial Bedroom, I think he really focuses on writing an album about relationships, about men and women, uh, about the, the disintegration of relationships. And yet that angry young man is still very much there. And um, on some of the songs, it's really just it's it's out there. It's on the forefront. And I, I pulled a couple of uh, a couple of different passages that that really stuck out to me listening to it uh, this time around or over the last few days. One of the first ones is from uh, "Boy with a Problem," which is the twelfth track on the album. And interestingly enough, he wrote the lyrics to this with Chris Difford from Squeeze. Two of them really uh, kind of became popular right around the same time. I think stylistically they were similar, but my God, these lyrics, uh, listen to this. I feel like a boy with a problem. I can't believe what we've forgotten. And I even slapped your face and made you cry. It's the last thing that I want to do. Pull the curtains on me and you pull the carpet from under love, pull out like young lovers do. Mm. man yeah and and so you know you you hear that anger there and then 
earlier in the album, one of the standout tracks I think is uh, Human Hands. And uh, it's just desperation and, and, and solitude in these lyrics. I've been talking to the wall and it's been answering me. Oh, darling, how I miss you. I'm just the mere shadow of my, of my former selfishness. I crave the silhouette of your kiss. And then, of course, the refrain. Whenever I put my foot in my mouth and you begin to doubt that it's you that I'm dreaming about, do I have to draw you a diagram? All I ever want to, all I ever want is just to fall into your human hands. It's beautiful. It really yeah, it is. Poetry. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, for me, any, go on. No, no, I was about to ask uh, any standout lyrical passages for you. I mean, there's just so many. I, you know, I was, I was trying to come up with some and basically every, every page I look at, um, I could do, but I think the way that it begins, uh, with beyond belief, um, you know, if you look at the, the past, some of the past albums that we've done, uh, or that like you did with the Rolling Stones, uh, with Brown Sugar kicking off Sticky Fingers with, uh, Zoo Station kicking off Actung Baby. Yes. Beyond belief, it really sets the tone. Um, and I think all great albums kind of have a tone setter at the beginning and this one right away, history repeats the old conceits, the glib replies, the same defeats. Keep your finger on important issues with crocodile tears and a pocket full of tissues. <laughs> um, you know, it goes on to, uh, I hang around dying to be tortured. You'll never be alone in the bone orchard. This battle with the bottle is nothing so novel. So in this almost empty gin palace through a two-way looking glass, you see your Alice. Um, and it just sets the scene for, for the chilling, the love affair and the dissolution of that, that we're about to go through. And, and we go through it. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I, yeah, it's those, those alcohol references. Yeah. I mean, was, was he going through a divorce at this time? Because it certainly comes off that way. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I don't know that he was at this time, but I think he did a few years after this. Mm. So it could just be that maybe the marriage was, was um, faltering a little bit. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I read his biography, but that was seven or eight years ago. So the hell if I remember it, I can't remember what I read last week. Um, <laughs> right. But well, you uh, know, the, the part of it, um, you know, you talked about how many sort of styles and genres, it's kind of a hodgepodge in some ways. And, for sure. But I think that, Part of what I like so much about it is that it works because you get the sense that if there's a protagonist who sort of is leading you through this album, that that's what he's going through. He's going through these ups and downs and these highs and lows and um, just feeling this kind of cacophony of emotions, if you will. And so it just it perfectly mirrors that. It does. And it seems as though he's it's almost like when you listen to it, he's going through it real time. It's not yeah. as though it's an anecdotal ode to, oh, my marriage has gone to shit. It's, it's, it's really, it's pulsating. It's, it's, it keeps you on the edge, I think. Yeah, yeah. And do, do you have the vinyl? Do you have the album? I, I do not. I'm, not. I'm not as cool as you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, right? Well, uh, <laughs> um, sometimes I just play it with my acoustic. And uh, mm. no, um, the, the album... What's the uh, like the the sleeve, I guess you'd call it, of the album? 
it it has all of the lyrics on it. There's nothing else on it. It's just on each side. It's two columns of lyrics, and it's just in like Times New Roman twelve point font, straight across. There's no break between any of the songs, so it's just this long, long, long stream of of words and sentences. I don't even think there's punctu. There's no punctuation. Just all runs into one another. Makes um, sense. Which, yeah, it's it's like you said, like you're. It's just sort of a stream of consciousness it comes across as. The interesting thing was the critical reception because it was very much unlike what he had done previously. And uh, Rolling Stone magazine calls it his masterpiece and they would rank it number 38 in their best albums of the 1980s. I think it should be higher. Uh, I frankly think it should be in the top 10 best albums of the 1980s. This is great. The, uh, Village Voice, upon the album's release, praised Costello's songwriting, but called the album pretentious. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Whatever, Village Voice. Oh. Exactly. Uh, now, as we do every episode, even the best of albums have a weakness. They have a, a low point and a deer. Uh, do, do you have... Anyone in particular with this? That is a really hard question. It's it's a little bit like asking that tornado that just destroyed your house and wrecked your world. Were there any kind of weak points to it? Um, I I honestly don't know. I, I would go with tears before bedtime, um, just because I don't I don't like it individually as much as the other songs, but I think in the context of the album, it's a really, it's a good choice. It's the second song on the album. Um, it has this sort of, uh, you know, Tears Before Bedtime, it's it's a down song, but it has this kind of nice melodic tune to it. Um, and it's kind of setting you up early on. You know, they're not, he's not gonna come at you right away with the real deep, dark stuff. So I think it's a necessary song. I just don't like it as much as the others. How about you? I'm quite surprised by that, by the way. Um, But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, I I, I do like when we disagree because it doesn't often happen. So this is exciting. Our our Uh, Dave Mason moment here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, For me, the, the, the weakness is 15 tracks is a little ambitious for this album. And I think that it could have been that much more effective if he shaved a couple of them off. Mm. And uh, in particular, the one that really does nothing for me, even this go around, uh, this recent go around of listening to it incessantly for the last four or five days is uh, little savage. I just do not like little savage at all. I never have now. Mm. Don't confuse it with little fool, which I think is a great song, mm. um, but little savage, I, I get that it fits with the rest of the album. I just don't like it. And uh, for my money, this would be a, uh, a better album if that weren't on it. And if it were just 14 songs instead of 15. But who am I? You know, I, that was one that I considered, but... Um... I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, it's tough. I, I, don't, I don't have any big problem with Little Savage. Uh, I agree that it's not one of the best tracks, but um, 
it's really hard on this album. It's really hard to pick it is. pick one that is not. And, know, and it's all, it's almost like you know it it, it really is an album. It, it really is something that you need to listen to start to finish in its entirety. And and it's perhaps not coincidental that unlike his what five previous albums, which all had big uh, chart topping singles or or at least singles in the top 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever. This one really didn't. And this isn't a singles album. You need mm. to put it on press play or in your case, drop the needle dude. And, <laughs> and, and then flip the side uh, six songs in or seven, but little savage. I don't like it, but maybe it needs to be there. And, and in your case, tears before bedtime, you don't like it, but it needs to be there. Yeah. And I, where I will disagree with you is that I like the amount of tracks on it. Um, I think that, you know, there's 15 tracks. It's about 15 minutes long. So you're looking at a lot of tracks that come in under three minutes, um, which is unusual. And, but I think it adds to this sort of frenetic whirlwind that he's going through and taking you through on this album. I see what you mean. And like, it's almost like these little vignettes. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, it kind of flips from one thing to another really quickly, and that kind of mirrors the emotional turbulence. What for, you, what for you is the sleeper moment or something surprising about the album uh, that, that you felt either over the years listening to it or perhaps just uh, this recent go-around of prepping for this episode? The one that kind of crept up on me over the years that's become a real favorite, you mentioned it before, You Little Fool. Yes. Um, I think that's an incredible song. It's a little bit different in that the protagonist in that song is a teenage girl, um, which is a pretty bold move for Elvis to be writing. I never thought of it like that way. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those songs that we talk about sometimes, kind of like Springsteen's Brilliant Disguise songs that, that flip, that are taking you one direction, mm -hmm. and then at the end, uh, throw you a curve and that's what that does you start with this kind of naive uh, vulnerable girl but at the end of it she's kind of transformed and she's the one who's got the power uh, over her her suitors um, so it's as though they pulled kind of a lyrical bait and switch on the listener yeah you know you you think the fool is one person and it is but then at the end the fool has become the fooler Sort of like uh, Willie Nelson's Poncho and Lefty. <laughs> that's a, I love that song. Yeah. That's, so do I. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. And like Brilliant Disguise. Very, very interesting. Yeah. They, yeah. they pull a fast one on you. I, I never thought of that with, with you, little fool. But now I'm going to have to go back and listen to the whole damn thing again after we're done here. Do check it out. I will. Um, um, what's your <clears> sleeper? <laughs> my sleeper moment is the aforementioned tears before bedtime. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I will tell you why, you know, it, it's a song that never really did much for me mm -hmm. over the last few days, listening to the album over and over again, I really uh, took to it. And I, I, I think it has a necessary place on the album, as I think you indicated earlier. And it comes right after Beyond Belief, which is just uh, a whacked out neurotic opener. And I love In Tears Before Bedtime 
the sort of repetitive, paranoid, staccato lyrics on the refrain. The, I don't want to talk, I don't want to fight. How wrong can I be before I am right? And he just repeats that over and over and over with mm. these multi-dubs. So it sounds like there's, you know, six uh, people singing, but uh, mm. it, it's just Costello in the studio. And I really, really enjoy the song. I'm not going to say it's the best in the album. I'm not going to say it's in my top three, but it serves its purpose quite well. And uh, I very much enjoyed listening to it this time around. So look at that. We actually... Uh, yeah, we disagreed. I'll have to uh, I'll have to go give that one another listen. And I think that brings up a really, really good point is with a lot of these songs at different moments over the last 20 years, I've kind of come in and out of different songs as being favorites um, because they're so layered and it's because of the lyrics, you know, because the writing is so good that I think, you know, you hear a song for me, I hear that song and I think, eh, you know, whatever. But there's a good chance that if I go back and really dig into that, that I'll find something that I haven't found before. You just might. Yeah. Now, what's your uh, your zenith, your 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 peak, your your mountaintop of uh, of this album for you? What what does it? It's a tough call. There's so many, um, and like you said before, it's not a it's not a singles album, so you know you don't necessarily have that sort of chart topping hit that jumps out but i'm gonna go with a an old an old favorite man out of time yeah um we've talked about this song for for a long time it's it's, it's pretty, amazing yeah it's pretty it's a pretty dark twisted song um that gets into infidelity um alcoholism alcoholism uh, i believe prostitution is involved in here yes uh <laughs> You know, it's this, for, for those of you who haven't uh, heard it, all three of you listening, um, it's, it's a song, I think it's a, he's a politician or some sort of uh, state, you know, employee, bureaucrat who is basically prowling around town apart from his buttoned up family at night uh, looking for a good time. And, but it's filled with so much self-loathing and, and self-awareness of what he's doing that um <clears throat> you know it's it's a really brutal song and i i love it. It, it it is and i i love the line toward the end and again it goes back to the alcoholism uh, <laughs> where he says you you drink yourself insensitive and hate yourself in the morning yeah yeah no it's <sighs> um that's it's it's one of his best songs, not simply the best song on the album, but it's one of his best songs ever. Yeah, I mean, I'll read you a little, another beautiful piece of it here. Um, the after-dinner overtures are nothing but an afterthought. Somebody's creeping in the kitchen. There's a reputation to be made. Whose nerves are always on a knife's edge? Who's up late polishing the blade? <laughs> I mean, it just cuts right to the, right to the bone. He is a brilliant, brilliant lyricist. It's incredible. Yeah. Now, I'm very uh-huh. curious what, what you picked for your <laughs> zenith. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I went in a little different direction. Uh, one, because I knew you were going to choose Man Out of Time. It's the <laughs> obvious choice. And I, I think anyone who doesn't choose Man Out of Time is, is, is 
misled and misinformed. So I didn't actually go with a song. Uh, I went with, (laughs) for me, what really does it, and this is a dark, dark album, but what brilliantly takes it even that much darker are the blood curdling screams that link (laughs) a few of the songs from the first half of the album. Um, And they're not songs that are in any necessary order. So you hear the screams at the end of the third track, Shabby Doll, and then the scream comes back at the intro of Man Out of Time, which is the fifth track, and then it comes back at the end of Man Out of Time. And again, these are just loud, manic screams like something off of a heavy metal album. And again, it just shows the darkness, the the anger, the, the alcoholism uh, <laughs> of the album. I think it's a brilliant move. And, and this was 1982. Nobody did this sort of thing in a new wave album. Um, it just random misplaced screaming. Well, it, it gets at the, the torture that, you know, he's or whoever the protagonist in this is, is going through. Um, Absolutely. And the idea that, you know, some of these songs are very melodic and he's taking some really deep, dark stuff and putting them into these nice little packages and the screams. I think you're right. It's almost like him coming out of it saying, Oh, this like creating this is just brutal. brutal. (laughs) That's probably what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe he was drunk. Who knows? Um, I'm curious your thoughts on uh, does the album at all capture the zeitgeist of, of early 1980s? How indicative of his, of it is, is no, excuse me, how indicative is it of the, the culture of that time, the music of that time? Tough to say when we get into these older ones, because this was, I mean, we were, what, five when this came out. Um, so, you know, I don't know, even just knowing history from afar at that point i don't know that it really captures the zeitgeist um i agree with you in fact i don't think it ever intended to yeah it doesn't sound like anything else from 1982 yeah in terms of of uh new wave or post-punk and that's you know 82 had uh duran duran rio it had Roxy Music Avalon. Mm. Uh, it had a whole slew of other amazing new wave albums. This sounds nothing like them. This sounds nothing like anything else at all. Uh, as we said at the onset of this, this is a hodgepodge of, of different musical styles. And I don't really feel it was their intent to even try to capture Zeitgeist or try to make any statement. This is a deeply personal album. Agreed. And, you know, capturing the Zeitgeist in a lot of ways that's a you know we look at that as sort of a good thing for an album to do in retrospect but that can also lead you down paths where things sound dated and they sound like a uh you know prisoner of that time and this album doesn't i mean this holds up really well i think because of that it's not really wedded to any particular time yeah do you have any uh special memories associated with the album or any pop culture references Anything in particular on this album that really resonates with you, a special time in your life? Well, I really got into this album probably a little after college. Um, and I think it was you that introduced me, like I said before, to, uh, 
to Elvis. And I remember we saw him at what the the Meadows in Hartford. No, it was the old Oakdale Theater the uh, up in Oakdale. Uh, yeah, in uh, Wallingford, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, and that was a great show. Um, that was two thousand two. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably it for me. You know, this one isn't as tied as much to some of the other albums we've done because I didn't come into it until I was in my sure. my twenties. Um, what about you? When did you first hear this? I first heard this album, I think, uh, right out of high school. And for me, a special moment. I've seen Elvis Costello probably five or six times in concert. And it was either the first time I saw him, which was in 96. And that was the last tour he did with the attractions. Or it was the next time that I saw him, the second time in 99, where it was just him and Steve Naive but, uh, on piano. But, uh, but either or, he did uh, an acoustic encore of the loved ones. And this was at the Beacon theater in Manhattan. And he just did this amazing call and response with the audience. And he had them singing along and I'll never forget that concert moment because I think a lot of times these, these brilliant lyricists, singer songwriters get too little credit as performers or they just aren't good performers. You know, if you see Dylan live, and I have, Bob Dylan is not a great performer live, mm. uh, but he's brilliant. And the same thing can be said for Gordon Lightfoot. And the same thing can be said for the late Lou Reed to a certain extent. Elvis is the exception. Elvis mm. Costello is an amazing singer-songwriter, and he is incredible as a live performer. He, he soaks up the audience, and he draws them in, and he plays to them, and it's just, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Final moment, uh, would you call this a perfect album? I would, I would. Um, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a bit of a, I don't know if I want to say loaded question, but I think when part of the purpose of the album is to be sort of frenetic and schizophrenic, uh, it gives you a little leeway because, things that maybe aren't perfect fit that sense of craziness and imperfection. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I disagree in that. I don't think it's a perfect album and I don't think it was ever intended to be. Um, But I think that its beauty rests in its weirdness, its unevenness and that hodgepodge of eclectic and dark, weird songs. I, I don't, I I think it's perfectly imperfect. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. I guess. It just sort of gets into like a philosophical debate on what, on what, perf- on the nature of perfection, right? And we, we uh, might need a part two on this one. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, that is all the time we have for this episode. And uh, if you're listening out there, all three or four of you, do yourselves a favor and and give Imperial Bedroom a listen. It really is a wonderful and strange album. Uh, don't drink too much when you listen to it. <laughs> Pull up the lyrics too when you listen to it, so you can read them. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it's uh, at times it's hard to understand uh, yeah. just if you listen to it. But man, the lyrics are amazing. All right, we'll see you again soon as we dissect another album. Until then, take care of yourselves, Chris. Thank you so much. My pleasure, John. Talk to you soon. Take care.